Good morning. So we are in the second part of our prodigal son parable series. We are looking at the elder son today. We looked at the younger son. And we're, our text is in Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32, if you want to go ahead and, and turn to that. Luke 15, uh, verses 25 through 32. Luke is the third gospel, if you're not sure. I'm going to take a moment to read that as well. It says this. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. As he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be, and he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. It's, a, it's going to be a powerful story, I believe. And as I was reading this early on in my prep, I had a couple of questions that arose. Not in any particular order, but just sort of as I was reading it. Number one, is the older brother angry at the younger brother or his dad? Number two, who was he trying to hurt by not going into the party? A little passive-aggressive action going on. Number three, is he exaggerating that dad never gave him anything? Number four, how exactly did he know how his younger brother was spending his money off in another country? Must have had spies or something. And then finally, why didn't he believe he had access to the father's wealth? Probably the most important of those questions. And as we go through these, I believe we're going to see the answers come out to those questions. Maybe not the fourth one, but how he, spent, how he knew how he spent his money. But definitely we're going to see what was going on with this guy's heart. And before I uh, go any further, let me take a moment to pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and what it is you're doing in our lives. We understand only what you allow us to know about yourself, and it's still so great and awesome. What little we, we, we can fathom and understand. Lord, I pray today that the words that I would speak would not be mine, but rather they would be yours. Anything that I would say today that is from me would be quickly forgotten, never to be remembered. But those things that are from you, Lord, would be quickened into our hearts and into our minds, finding fertile soil in both places. That as we leave here today, Lord, we leave changed, looking more like your son, Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look through this 
in sort of an exegetical way, which means we're just going verse by verse. And so we're going to look at verses 25 through 27. And it says this. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And I remember thinking, does this guy feel slighted in some way? That his brother is off on another country, frittering away this money, and then he comes back, and now there's a party for him? Like, what about me, Dad? Hello? A lot of times we feel that way when other people seem to get the blessings that we think we deserve, right? A, a job promotion uh, or a raise. We think we did a good job for the company and maybe we don't get a raise or we get a raise that we don't think is commensurate with what we actually did. Maybe it's a, a sports award. I remember I was trying to get a, an award my senior year. I, I did track and field. And, I was the first to practice and the last to leave, you know, the whole nine yards of that. We had to pull the, the pads out for high jump and pole vault, so nobody liked doing it, but I did it. I was part of the team that did that without complaining about it. I made a lot of points for the team, so I was effective that way. I did well in school, so I was trying to be a, an example to these younger kids. I gave kids rides home to try to, I don't know, bribe them? <laughs> Hey, I'm giving you a ride home. Think of me when, we, when you uh, fill out the form for the award. I didn't win the award. Someone else who was equally deserving won the award. But I don't even know if I showed up on any other ballot but my own. Disappointing, sure. Or maybe it's you, you graduate to a new school, right? You go from middle, uh, elementary school to middle school or middle school to high school. And, you know, a good friend of yours, or you're making plans to have lunch together because your schedules are a little different, and you say, hey, I'll, I'll get a, a seat, or you get a seat, whoever gets a seat first, and we'll look for each other, and you, you wave, and you see them, and they, they see you, and they sit somewhere else, right? They're sitting with a, a different group of kids that all of a sudden they're friends with. Like, what happened? Don't you like me anymore? Aren't we friends? I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing the tone being set to understand the elder brother's heart through these next verses. Verses 28 through 30 go on to say this, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I have never neglected the command of yours. And yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. It almost sounds like he feels betrayed. You know, oftentimes the good children feel like they deserve the affections of their parents, and then they get annoyed when the bad children are also getting the affections, right? Like, what are you doing? You shouldn't be giving him gifts or her gifts or whatever. I'm the good one. It's almost like he's feeling betrayed because the bad kid is getting all this glory stealing his thunder. See, that's man's economy of fairness. That's the way we look at it apart from God. But that's not the way it should be. 
We're going to dig deeper into this and really see his heart come out and as he compares himself to his brother, basically. You see, he didn't really have a willingness to enter, which really proved his disdain for his brother. The fact that he hated the fact that he was getting all this glory and, and riches, basically. He was judging him. He was sitting in the judgment seat of God, in essence. He didn't bother to care that his brother was now found. It's just he took what was, he thought was his. Sitting in that judgment seat of God, it's a sin. Because only God can sit in his judgment seat. It's for him and him alone. But don't we do that? We sit down often in the judgment seat and we make value judgments on people. We don't want to converse with that person or we don't want to go over there because that person's very tiring. I've had a lot of those people in my life and I've had to ask for forgiveness from God that I'm sorry I didn't go and take the effort, the time in that particular moment to go and speak to that person knowing that it would eat up an hour for something that would normally take 10 minutes. He made the dad, his father, come out of the party. Now see, this was a sign of disrespect, to basically have the host leave the party for you. And then he addresses him in a way that's also dishonoring. He doesn't use his name, he just says, look, or, look, you. But he should be in the party celebrating. Celebrating his, his brother because it's what God has done. He's focused on himself. You see, the, the blessing from God, or blessings from God, are proof of his goodness. Is that true? When we see blessings anywhere in the world, we say, look, look what God is doing. Praise God. That's why he should be praised. And it doesn't matter who the recipient of the blessing is, should it? There are people in our lives that we don't like, for whatever reason. It might be justified, it might not be. But you know what? Sometimes they get blessed. And do you say praise God for what you've done in that person's life? Doesn't Jesus command us to pray for our enemies? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to share the word of God. He went the other way. And yet, God got a hold of him and took him to Nineveh. Right? Because it's about God's blessing. It's about God. The older brother also defended his long-standing piety his length of service, like that's supposed to impress his father and, and mean, hey, because I've been with you for so long, you owe me. The father owes him just because he's been with him. And we, again, as people, we feel that that's part of our economy. When I spend the time with you, I expect something in return. But that's not God's economy. If we spend time with someone, that's just us being Christ to somebody. And that in and of itself is its own reward because we get to experience God 
through us. His dad is not going to be indebted to this guy just because of his constancy of being at home. You can go ahead and put that slide up. Um, there's a, this was, normally it's a gift, but you can see the department has worked 936 days without lost time accident. Right? That's an OSHA sign that a lot of companies will use to show that, hey, we're doing well, that we're not getting hurt at work. Um, the GIF is that she erases it and puts zero, um, because someone got hurt, obviously. Um, but the point is, this is what the older brother's doing. Hey, I've lived with you for X number of years. What do I get from this? But let me ask this question. What about a new believer in Christ? What's their longevity with God? Very little. Does that mean they shouldn't be blessed? That makes no sense. Because that's God's economy. To bless people regardless of length of service, of belief. It's not very gracious, <laughs> if you think about it. He goes on to say that he, he never neglected a command of the Father. Really? How old is this guy? In his entire life, he always followed the rule. I'm going to guess that's not true. Who in here has never broken a rule? Okay. And there's some younger people in here. I appreciate your honesty and knowing that you've broken a rule. He's lying. <laughs> He's lying right here and right now in this, in this instance. And the, the father would know that it's a lie because he lived with the guy. And he had to correct him at times. But we say things in anger and frustration using language that really makes us look like knuckleheads, quite frankly. He's lashing out. And quite frankly, the statement flies in the face of this righteousness that he says he's lived for so long with. If you're lying, you're not following the commands. And he, states, he goes on to state that the dad never gave him so much as a young goat. Again, I think his idea of the perspective that he has is lost. His father never gave him anything. Now, this is conjecture on my part, but my guess is that he would have gotten gifts in his life. But based on what I know of his heart, that he never deemed them worthy of his value or worth. Now, to be fair, we're talking about a parable here. So we have to be careful that we don't look too deeply into it because there's not as much you know, character development or plot lines going on. It's a story. This is not something that actually happened. But again, when I know and understand his heart, it's easy to make that jump that he doesn't believe that he got what he deserved. What does he expect of the dad, anyway? Young goats every week to go celebrate with his friends? Or more? Here, take a ram, take a bull, take a whatever. Or does he think that he only gets gifts when it's warranted? When the father does deem him worthy, and since he never got anything, then the father obviously didn't think he's ever lived up to his expectation. 
Is he not worthy enough? God does not work on this merit system. There's nothing that you can do that can merit his favor for you. His gifts to you, his blessings to you, are for his glory. The greatest of that, the greatest of those, is Jesus Christ, his son. The gift of atonement. He gave us his son because we created a scenario where we were separated from God. We chose to say, God, I don't need you. I can work out this life on my own. But God said, I can't live where there's sin. You are going over here, and I'm going over here, and there's no way to get, for you to get back. No way. You may be alive physically, but you are not alive spiritually. You are dead spiritually. And when things are dead, they don't move. My soul, before I knew Christ, had as much ability to move across this stage as this lectern does. If I told this thing to go over there, It's not going to go anywhere. It can't. It's completely unable to do anything. Such was my soul before I knew Christ. I couldn't move towards God. God had to move towards me. God had to move towards you. And he did so. He revealed himself to you that you might choose to believe him. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus is that only atoning sacrifice, the only acceptable one, because he was a perfect sacrifice. And when we believe that his death on the cross was for our sin, that he rose in glory, overcoming the grave, we are now seen as righteous. That is the only way the only way. Nothing you can do. And if we're talking about fairness, why did God wait so long? Why did God wait so long to send His Son, Jesus Christ? We just came out of, of Hebrews not that long ago, and we saw in chapter 11 the, the hall of faith. All these Old Testament people that lived with faith in a belief that God was going to save them, and they never got to see Jesus Christ. Is that fair? Why not just send Jesus Christ early? Wouldn't that be easier? But he didn't do that. But he did give them the faith to believe. And that's his prerogative. That's God's prerogative to do what he will. A number of years ago, I, I stood up here and I preached, and as part of the sermon, I mentioned that I, I wished that I were married because I was a single guy. I was in my mid-40s. And I'm thinking, God, am I not a good man? Do I not deserve a wife? What do I need to do to, to, to earn one? If that makes any sense. Who do I need to become? Now I'm in my late 40s, but I am married now. Praise God. <laughs> That's my wife starting, starting to clap. But she, like me, had to wait. 
And that's hard when you hear so many things about how wonderful from Scripture, marriages, and having kids, that's the next part of it. Will we have the chance to have kids? Are we not good enough parents? Would we not be good enough? Am I not the right kind of man to be a father? I'm getting older. It's harder to be a parent, I'm sure, when you start as old as we are. That's scary. But we have to have faith and believe that in God's timing, he will do what he will do. The truth of the matter is, if, if the father gave this older brother a goat every week, he still wouldn't have been happy. He'd still find something else to complain about. Because it's not about the goat and getting things to make you happy. He goes on to rail against the reinstatement of this son. And I think this is the most important argument for him because he realizes that now he's going to lose even more money in the inheritance. I mean, Brian talked to us last week about how the older brother would get two-thirds of the estate and the younger brother would, or, yeah, the younger brother would get one-third. So the younger brother leaves with one-third, leaving the full estate two-thirds the size. Well, how long did it take for them to get to the original size? Decades. And now this guy comes walking back. They're not back to 100% of what they were, I'm sure. And now he reinstitutes him as a son. So he gets to have another third later when the father finally does die. That takes away some more money from the older brother. He's angry. He's losing more reward. And the piece de resistance, or the cherry on top of all this, is that he's also giving him a fattened calf for a big party. Like, here's adding insult to injury. The older son feels like he's coming up short. And that he's not earning his dad's love or acceptance or respect or whatever it is that he thinks he's looking for. In fact, he's trying to exercise control, expressing the expectation that he's owed something for his services rendered. What kind of relationship is that? It's a transactional one. It's business transaction, a business relationship with his father. But that's not what the father wanted. That's not what our father wants from us. He wants us to enjoy him, to live through his grace. And don't we bargain with God also? As if somehow God owes us something? I remember many years ago, we're talking like four decades ago now, when I was a young boy, I didn't know Christ, but I believed in God. And I can remember there were times where I'd be sick and I wasn't feeling well, and like many of you, I'm sure, you'd start bargaining with God. Hey, God, I don't feel well. Please help me. And I don't know why I went this route, but I always promised I would give God money. I'm not sure how that would work. Um, I always viewed it as one, like those drive-in bank teller things. Or they uh, suction the, uh, the thing up, and I was going to give God the money that way somehow. I didn't know if that was possible, and quite frankly, at, I don't know, eight years old, I don't know what kind of money I had to give God, but I was trying to bargain with him. 
God, I don't feel well. Please, help me. Let me do something for you so that you will. God, I want this job. God, I need to get into this school. We, we try and bargain with God. Um, you know, it's as if, God, look what I've done for you. So please give me this. It doesn't work that way. The elder, the elder son has a, an additional problem here because he really believes that it's a tit-for-tat situation. Like, if I do this for you, you should do this for me. If I scratch your back, you scratch mine. But boy, is that a flawed way to look at this. You see, Jesus becomes nothing more than a helper of wealth generation. If you do this for me, God, and give me Jesus, and I'll do this, and I'll get more. Or at best, he's an inspiration to live up to an ideal. Wow, he's a great, perfect guy, and let me try and live that way, and I'll get more. That's not the way we need to think. And quite frankly, the other part of it is, the other side of the coin is, what about when we do the wrong thing? Does our sin not also be justly rewarded? Because we know it will be. When we do the right thing, we think we should get blessed. When we do the wrong thing, we're like, eh, it's okay. But that's not how even our economy works. We know when you do the wrong thing, bad things happen. That's consequences. But he doesn't think that way. I found it interesting that the father's reaction between the two sons was a little different. With the younger, he made a big deal. He runs out to him, immediately seeing him far away, bring him a robe, let's have a party, kill the fattened calf. With the older, he has to leave a party, probably no one else is there, and have this conversation or argument, at least from the older brother's perspective. We pick that up in verses 31 and 32. It says, And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead, and has begun to live, and was lost, and has been found. About four points of note that I want to bring up. First, that the younger was completely lost, physically and spiritually. He was hopeless. He had no hope. You remember he was feeding pigs, which was, quite frankly, for a Jew, the worst possible thing you could have done. And so his return was grandiose. It was spectacular. It was awesome. The older, he lived at home, but by the law. So spiritually dead, but physically, he was with the father. But he didn't embrace the spirit of lostness like his younger brother did when he returned. He had access to his father all the time, and yet didn't access it. He didn't recognize what mattered most was readily available to him whenever he wanted. The second point is that dad, the father himself, 
went to entreat his older son. He didn't send a servant to do this. Now, he didn't do that for the younger son either. But he wasn't leaving a party for the younger son. So, as I said, to leave the party would have been a sign of disrespect from the older son. But he was willing to do that. God was willing to step it down from heaven onto earth for us. This cesspool that we call our lives, our physical lives, he was willing to do that. The father in this parable was willing to do that as well. The son was important enough for him to leave the party. You are important enough that God came down from heaven and gave himself up to death. The third point, the father still wanted him to join the party. He kept entreating him, come in. Come join us in this celebration of life. He made a strong effort to entreat this, his son. Almost maybe to the point of begging is sort of the concept that should be, you, you want to think of here. Nearly begging his son to come in. But he gave him a choice. He gave him a choice of whether or not he, should, he would come in. But the son wasn't willing to go in because of his pride. Or comparing himself to his younger brother, which is still pride. He was comparing himself. Again, he placed himself in the judgment seat of God. He wasn't willing to humble himself. Here's a little story for you. Um, past month or so, I've actually been getting together with a, a young man in his early 20s, just mentoring him. He, we had got to talking, and uh, he was sharing with me some of his faith, and sounded like he was a believer, but not really sure of why he believed. And so I said, hey, why don't we get together and, and just start talking about that? And he was willing to do that, so I said, okay. So we've been meeting a couple of times, um, going through a particular book, and recently, in fact, on Friday, he sent me a text. I want to read that to you. It says this. Hey, Scott, just wanted to let you know that reading chapter 3 made me realize that I cannot walk in Christ if I still held on to anger and resentment. For the past three or four years, I blocked my father out of my life because I was angry with him and I didn't want to deal with him. After reading about our relationship with God and how it will never change, but the harmony can be affected, I decided to reach out to my father and ask for forgiveness. How awesome is that? The power of God is moving in this young man that he asked for forgiveness from his father with whom he was holding a grudge. I asked him, how did he feel after that? He said, yeah, as soon as I sent the text out, I felt a sigh of relief. That burden was taken off of me. It felt good. Our pride gets in the way. We can't live by God's grace 
if our pride is in the way. And the fourth point of note here is that he tries to remind his son that the rebirth of his brother, in essence, is the greater gift than anything that he could ever give. A transient gift. You want a goat? Here's a goat. Does it make you happy? No. But this sense of rebirth, that's where the true joy is. Communing with the Father was the real gift. Communing with the Father every day, eternally. The fact of the matter is, both brothers believed that wealth would bring them happiness. The difference, or they had different ways of getting it, but both were equally misguided. And the central point of this is this. This new faith is not about following rules for the sake of righteousness. It's about the heart's condition. Why was this message to the Pharisees so inflammatory? You see, these were religious leaders that were hearing this parable, the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they firmly believed that the law, the Torah, or the moral conformity was the path to holiness. They would be out there preaching on, on the streets and telling people that, that they needed to get their, themselves right with God. And they would be out there praying and, and being very showy about what they were doing religiously as a way to be able to compare themselves to everyone else and give everyone else a way to compare themselves to the religious leaders and see how they don't measure up. Well, now Jesus is, is turning the, the book around on them and saying, you don't measure up. Anyone can be holy when they repent. So now they can't compare themselves to anyone because anyone can be just like them, just as pious as them. People could be accepted and loved and desire to know, to follow and serve him. In essence, their authority and power was stolen. The, the book that I'm taking this uh, young man through is called uh, Victory Over the Darkness by Dr. Neil Anderson. And I wanted to, there's two quotes I want to read to you, and, and the first one is this. We don't serve God to be accepted. We are accepted, so we serve God. We don't follow him to be loved. We are loved, so we follow him. Both sons in the parable lived far away from God spiritually, but one was living under the roof with him, under the with the with the father. Do you know someone in your life who's trying to earn God's favor, believing there's actually something they could do to merit his favor or to impress him, as opposed to living by grace? Isaiah 64.6 is a pretty well-known passage. It says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our wrongdoings like the wind take us away, 
And if you're not familiar with this verse, the idea of the filthy garment is, is that of a rag used for menstruation, which is a pretty gross idea, but that's what God, how God views our work without him when we try to impress him. That's the level it rises to. It's pretty, pretty pathetic. That's apart from God. We need to convince people in our lives it's not about merit. You can't earn God's favor. Or maybe you're the prodigal older brother where you're trying to earn God's favor. Now, it might not be in every moment, every day type of thing, but it wouldn't surprise me if something in your life comes up and you try to earn God's favor. I do. And I have to apologize God, to God for it because I know it's not the right way to go. Do you believe that being at church or watching it online impresses God? Do you believe tithing impresses God? Being involved in ministry or serving the poor, is that going to impress God? Standing here, preaching a sermon, does that impress God? If it's not born from a repentant heart, that's truly desirous of God, then it's not going to impress God. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter that we're all familiar with as the love chapter, makes a statement that I found interesting because the first three verses, or first two verses, talk about how if we don't really know God, the love, if we don't have love, what we do in our gifts and talents and abilities is meaningless. We're like a, a clanging cymbal, a gong. We're just making noise for the sake of making noise. But it's only through love that how we interact with the world do we honor God. And can things truly happen? Psalm 46.10 says, Stop striving and know that I am God. We're all, a lot of us are very familiar with this verse as well. A lot of translations say, be still and know that I am God. Personally, I like stop striving or cease striving because when I think of be still, it just feels like you just stop. But cease striving means you are planning, you're scheming, you're trying to do something to a certain effect. But he's saying cease striving. But here's the end of verse 10. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This was written by David during a struggle. We oftentimes stop at the first half of the verse. But the cause and effect. When you cease striving, I will be known. And isn't that what our job is? To make God known in this world? To be his ambassador? Another, the second quote from Victory of the Darkness says this, it is not what you do as a Christian that determines who you are. It is who you are that determines what you do. 
Finally, last week, Brian uh, told us that the message of Christianity isn't clean yourself up and run to God. It's run to God and he'll make you clean. Today, I have a little addendum to that. The message of Christianity isn't show God how you follow his rules and deserve his love and compassion. It's accept that he performed the excruciating, atoning work on the cross and rose again to glory. Because you couldn't. To give you access to him at all times. And to make our salvation sure. Don't be a Pharisee. Live by the grace of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are, again, and what you're doing in our lives. I thank you and praise you that this message would be from you and not from me. Help us to live by your grace and to stop trying to earn your favor, because that's just as lost as someone who doesn't know you at all, because we can't earn your favor. You have given your son freely to us for us to accept. Help us to do so in every moment of our lives. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.